Welcome back to the Renowned Leadership Podcast. And today I got Eric Gerard with me. Um, we just got done recording his podcast, which I had so much fun. And that's coming out when? It's already out, isn't it? It's December well, December 12th. Yeah. So it's already so been out for a little bit. So over when a this month. one drops, yeah. Yeah. So awesome. Um, full transparency, it is July and it is hot, 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 hot where I'm at. But my man Gerard, he's in washington state so he's nice and nice and balmy up there isn't it oh it's beautiful it's like 70 degrees what bro let me let me check yeah heat index is 104 right now so i, I think yeah. you should get a, you should get on a plane i think you're absolutely right my man so eric um go ahead tell us real quick uh who you are and uh, what you got going on you got a book coming out you're also an entrepreneur uh, uh, and a speaker i believe yeah so i'm eric gerard and i'm the ceo of gerard training solutions and we're a consulting firm that focuses on helping new managers transition from being high performing individual contributors employees to being great people managers so we we help people in that first transition in their careers going from employee to manager um, I've been in the learning and development field my whole career. So that's over 30 years. And I spent 20 years in Silicon Valley doing management development. So I worked for places like Apple, uh, Symantec, Applied Materials, Nutanix, a, a bunch of big names in Silicon Valley. Um, so that's, that's kind of me professionally. Um, I've also got a book coming out. It's called Lead Like a Pro. The Essential Guide for New Managers, uh, it will, will have dropped uh, in September. So uh, you can find that on Amazon in all your favorite formats. So if you like uh, paperback or Kindle ebook or Audible, uh, you'll be able to find that on Amazon. And personally, I'm a scuba instructor and I'm married with twin 14-year-old girls. Okay, well, one, you know, God be with you on the the twin teenage girls because that I can only imagine that it's actually a that. lot of fun. It's actually it's actually okay. It's a lot of fun. The trick Heaven. is to to raise them right until they're about nine. Like you got to just love 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 on them early, <laughs> so that when they hit the the tween years and the pre the preteen years, you've already got it established that you know life is good and and they're okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's awesome. Um, so let, let's, what, what got you into the new management? So, I mean, you've worked, like you said, your resume is pretty impressive. So you could be working with the C-suite. You could be working with middle management. What, what, what really brought you to working with new management? Hey, that's a good idea. I should go work with the C-suite. I'm going to change my business. <laughs> so, um, so I have a real passion for new managers because for two reasons. The first was in my career, mainly in Silicon Valley, I was often managed by people who had been promoted over me and didn't receive any training. So I might have been working with someone and then they got promoted to lead the team. They didn't receive any training and they flailed. They did a horrible job as a manager and and made life really difficult for us. So that was the first thing. And then in a twist of irony, a twist of fate, I got promoted 
thought I knew better and I made all kinds of mistakes and made life miserable for, for my team. So I'm sure that I was the subject of dinner table conversations every night where my team was talking about their boneheaded manager and the dumb thing he did that day. So I, I walked away from those two experiences and thought, never again. That's never going to happen to me again. I'm never going to do that to anybody again. It's never going to happen to anyone ever again. And so fast forward to the pandemic 2020, uh, we were locked down and my wife and I got to talking. We're like, you know what? Let's move out of the Bay Area and go to Seattle. And so we moved. We bought a house. My wife got a new job and started a side hustle. I started this company and I became a scuba instructor all in 2020. And so, you know, that's how I decided to really, really focus down on new managers was, was that big life, life change, that big move. Uh, and there's a funny story that you told me on your podcast. Um, would you mind sharing that for, for my audience as well? Because I really, it was a really funny story. You're going to have to remind me, sorry. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, your presentation. Whenever uh, one of your one of your uh, team members ask if you're going to do anything, oh God! <laughs> so I'm sitting. I, I get promoted, and I immediately put together a presentation and and I present to my team my management style and my philosophy on leadership and how it's all going to work. And I start dividing up the tasks. And about ten minutes into it. Freya raises her hand and she looks at me and she says, are you going to actually do any of the work? And I looked back at it and I'm like, well, of course, I'm going to lead the team. And the look on her face, if looks could kill, like that was just like that was the wrong answer. And and as you might imagine, things did not go well from that point forward. No, of course not. <laughs> and that was the wrong answer. But I mean, that's what's awesome about this conversation is, is we get a look back and be like, yeah that was stupid. Shouldn't have done that. Um, but we survive and we're able to learn from these lessons, which you obviously had. Um, but that's, that's such a common issue, right? Because you already knew these people and you already had a working relationship with these people, right? You, you, you were in this team when you got promoted. So, and, and the military takes drastic measures when you go from just being a normal soldier to being in charge, when you get that, that final per, or that big promotion, you get moved. You're not allowed to lead the team that you're where your buddies are. Um, so, but I, I, I know the corporate world works much different in that regard. And so how do you, what would you advise for, for team leaders or new managers when they get promoted over their peers and they stay within that same team uh, on how to make that a smooth transition to, yeah, I used to be your buddy. Now I'm in charge. Yeah. Well, the, the first thing is you have to adopt a new mindset. So you have to, you have to shift your thinking from I'm a doer that gets rewarded for accomplishing tasks to I'm a leader that gets results through people. So that's, that's a, fundamental mindset shift you have to make is it's no longer about, you know, how many widgets you can produce or, or whatever, fill in the blank, however many things you can create or do. It's about how you encourage your team to get that work done. And that's your job now. The second is my good friend, Bill told me years ago when I was, when I was asking him about leadership, he said, you know what, you get promoted, you're no longer part of the gang. 
you're not. You you cannot hang out anymore. Now that doesn't mean you can't be friendly. That doesn't mean you can't be cordial. But there has to be a boundary between Eric, your friend, and Eric, your boss. And so I've had I've experienced that myself. For example, with my company, with Gerard Training Solutions, because I've hired three of my friends. They're they're my contractors, and they do things. And when we're just hanging out, we're just hanging out, and everything's fine. But when it's time to work, it's almost like there's a different tone of voice. And you know, there's, there's a very clear difference that we are relating to each other as boss and employee. Um, and it just it just sort of helps. There's a, there's a line that says, okay, we're working now. And so you just have to you have to have those boundaries, and you need to discuss those boundaries with your friends, and make it clear that things do need to change. And be prepared to allow for some grieving to take place because you know what, if you, especially if you're close friends, and then all of a sudden you're the boss, um, your your friend, you know, maybe grieving the loss of a really good close personal relationship, you know, their best friend at work, for example. So be ready for that and be prepared for that. So that those are some of the things I would suggest. You know, if if you're going to transition from being a friend to the boss, you've got to make it a, a clear change and communicate that. That's such a good uh, observation. I've never actually thought of that before, um, but you're absolutely right. That the, there is a grieving process that that goes into that. If, like you said, if you're close enough friends, even if you're you're just cordial friends, you know, uh, you know, that's still a big. Uh, dynamic shift within the team you know if you've been working together for two years even if you're not friends you're just you know colleagues that's that's a big dynamic shift and there's an amount of grievance that's going to go in that I've never actually thought about that that's a very good observation so one of the things that I found super helpful is uh, uh, always having, always having the, so my personality doesn't change, right? I am, I am the boss. Yes. I am in charge. Yes. I've found for me that being maintaining a consistent personality was very important. However, like you said, having that conversation of look when we're at work uh, i'm i'm basically i'm big daddy like you know i'm the boss like things these things don't fly you can't speak to me this way or you can't call me by my first name in the military um or whatever when we're off the clock then things can be slightly different but I still found I had to maintain a very strict dialogue uh, when we were hanging out off the clock, if we were hanging out off the clock, because still that would get to, I would, or I found that they would get too comfortable. So with you hiring your friends, I'm curious, have you had, have you found that struggle of, you know, they, they might feel too comfortable with you or were you able to have a, a good enough conversation where it's like, look, this, this is the way it is here. This is the way it is there. Does that make sense? No, it does. And it's, it, it actually has not been difficult because in our case, we're all veterans with 20, 30, even 40 years experience mm -hmm. in, in our fields. 
So we're all professionals and, you know, we're just all professionals who have been friends for a really long time. And I think that the benefit that we get from that is because we're all comfortable with each other and because they're comfortable with me, they can tell me if I'm full of baloney, you know, if my thinking is flawed, if I'm going down a wrong path, they are welcome to tell me so. Um, whereas, you know, if, if they didn't know me so well, then maybe they wouldn't be as comfortable. So that's, that's the kind of relationship we have where it's like, you know what, if, if my thinking is wrong, please tell me so, you know, don't, don't let me gallop off down the path. Um, and I think I, I do need to have a conversation with them to, to speak up a little more firmly because in one case I did make a mistake with my book and the way that I was producing my book. And Lissa did say, you know, you might want to consider doing it another way, but she was very kind and gentle about it. And I ignored her and it came back to bite me. So maybe I need to have a conversation with her that says, you're not going to hurt my feelings if you raise your voice a little bit, you know, and really make your point. Um, so that's the benefit of working with your friends is that there's trust and a level of caring there. Um, but I, you know, I, I've definitely seen where things have gotten too cozy between, you know, boss and, and employee, and then the boss has to kind of lay down the letter of the law because something's gone wrong and that makes things really complicated. Yeah, so that gets I think really uncomfortable, really quick. Gets, yeah, absolutely. And so I think if you can, if you can have that conversation up front about boundaries, you know, think about it first and then have the conversation and have a, a two-way dialogue about it and then keep that conversation open about the relationship so that if you as a boss have to say, Hey, listen, you're doing something wrong. You've made a, you've made a serious mistake or you've said the wrong thing or done the wrong thing then you can have that conversation as boss and employee and it doesn't wreck your, your friendship. Does right. That make sense? Yeah, absolutely. It does. And I agree 100%. You know, these are hard lessons I had to learn along my path um, because I wasn't, you know, initially I wasn't trying to have those conversations because those conversations are uncomfortable. But in something you said, man, it's one of my my favorite stories, and I can't remember who it was. Maybe it was Steve Jobs. I can't remember exactly who it was, but it, it's a story out of Silicon Valley of someone that um, you know owned a, a large popular company, and they had hired somebody specifically to do what you're talking about, and that is like to catch their mistakes, basically to put their foot down, you know, be firm in the stand and be like, no, we can't do this. This is the wrong decision to make. And uh, the CEO, he, he didn't listen and the, his person didn't, he ultimately backed down. And when this mistake came back to bite him and cost them, you know, potentially millions of dollars, he went back, you know, the CEO went back to, to his guy and he's like, yo, why didn't you stop me? And he's like, you're, you're the boss. You pulled the boss card. He's like, it doesn't matter. It's your job to stop me from being stupid. And I'm obviously paraphrasing because I don't remember the story clearly, but it's such a good example of as a leader, you have to be able to take that, that, that feedback from, from your team. And that's ultimately, in my opinion, what's going to make you the most effective leader 
is whenever your team is able to have that open communication and say, I don't think we should go this way. I think we should do B instead of A or C instead of B. And, and because, you know, that's the whole purpose of a team is so not one person is lifting the load. Totally agree. Yeah. I, yeah, you've got, you've got to have a relationship, whether or not you're friends with your team or, you know, whether you started a brand new team and you're getting to know each other and you're going through the Tuckman model, forming, storming, norming, performing. I think you still need to make it clear that you're not infallible and, and you welcome feedback. And there might be some boundaries about how that feedback is given, but still, like, I want feedback. I want to get better. I do not want to make huge mistakes. So please speak up. I think that's an important thing to say. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things I struggled with the most, uh, especially in the military, was communication. Because communication is different between a contributor and a, and a, and a leader, right? So well, what, how do you overcome that, that communication piece? Or how did you overcome that? When you say communication, tell me more. What do you mean by that? So, you know, as an individual contributor, your communication is going to be based on what you're producing or what you're creating or whatever. As a leader, your communication has to be more broad. It has to be for the mission in general or for the goal in general, rather than I'm communicating specifically about this one task. I'm communicating about all the tasks. Yeah. That help. Yeah. And I think that takes a little reflection and maybe some conversation with your superiors. What is our mission and vision and what are our values? So pull me up to 50,000 feet and tell me what's this organization about, whether it's Apple or whether it's Gerard Training Solutions or whether it's a particular unit in the army. Like what is this organization about? What do we exist for? And get really, really clear about why we exist. What do we do for whom and to what end? And make, make sure that you're clear on that first. And I think that's important for everybody in the team. But as a manager, you've got to be able to continually anchor back to that and say, you know, as you're talking to each person on your team, each individual contributor on the team, this is how what you're doing matters to the whole. So don't get lost down in the weeds of what you're doing when you're creating whatever you're creating. Don't forget, it's part of something bigger. You're part of something bigger than yourself. You know, you're part of something bigger than just one particular task. And I think it's that, you know, first off, getting clear on what the mission, vision, and values are of the organization, and then communicating to each person on your team, like, this is how you matter. This is how you connect. This is how you contribute. And I think that's a great way to, to, to help people be bought in and trust. It's like, oh, yeah, this is what I'm doing. I'm not just sweeping the floor. I'm creating something that's bigger than us. You know, and, and this is just a, a a Lego in that in that puzzle. Um, so those are those are some thoughts I have off the top of my head. And that's huge for morale as well. Whenever you realize that you're a part of because when you're in when you're in the suck, you don't realize, you know, you, you don't often get as the that fifty thousand foot view. You know, all you can see is you. And I'm doing this, it sucks, it's tedious, it's mindless, it's whatever brain numbing mind numbing 
And so, you know, having someone come to you and be like, look, you're important because, oh man, that is a huge morale boost because finally it's like, okay, so what I'm doing does matter because, you know, I own my own company and a lot of times I'm like, why am I doing this? Like, does this really matter? This sucks. I don't want to do this. Like, you know, so, I mean, I, unfortunately I don't have anyone to help me out with that. I have to do it myself. My point is we all experience that. And so if you're a leader, it's so important for you to communicate that and, and give them that, that morale boost, that confidence boost. And like you said, that's going to build a lot of trust as well because you're communicating all that, which kind of leads to one of the keys of building a high performing team is that communication. Um, what, what other things like, especially like in jar training solutions, like it sounds like your team is pretty, pretty hot. So, I mean, when it, when it comes to creating one of these hot teams, like what, what all goes into it besides effective communication? Well, this, this was, this has all been an iterative process for me. Uh, so I've been in business now for three years, this time around, I was self-employed previously during the, the housing bust in 2009. Um, so this time around, I got really clear with a marketing guru about what do I do? Who do I serve? So, you know, I, I surrounded myself with people smarter than me. So you mentioned that you're kind of by yourself. You don't have a sounding board. I would really encourage you get a sounding board, get a couple of people who will will talk with you and be a reflecting kind of reflection, a mirror to you um, and help you think beyond your, your limitations. So I remember I sat down with a guy from SCORE, which is a volunteer organization, and he was the marketing manager, the CMO for some pretty major organizations. And then, then he retired and started volunteering. And he helped me put together my brand story and, and, you know, why I exist and what I'm doing. And so what I talked to you about at the beginning, you know, that whole origin story of being a bad manager myself and have being badly managed, that's all part of my brand story. So having that first helps because then I can turn to Lissa or Bill or Diana or Sandra and say, Hey, I'd love you to join me. This is what my company is about. And this is what I'm trying to do. You know, this is my mission, my mission is to try to help new managers make that transition so they don't make the same mistakes that we've made or we've seen other people make. So, you know, that that makes it easier to attract people when you've got that brand story down. Um, and then from there, it's genuine relationships with everybody. And one of the things that I do, like I don't have a lot of money for bonuses and things like that, but one of the things that I do is, this is going to sound really mushy, so I apologize for that, but I, I absolutely love on everybody who works for me. Every time somebody does something that I'm pleased with, which is all the time, um, I'm like, thank you so much. You absolutely rocked it. This really helped in this way, you know, and sort of, again, connected their work to something that mattered. So I'm constantly letting people know I'm catching people doing things right all the time, which becomes a self-perpetuating cycle. Um, it's a virtuous cycle where, you know, I catch you doing something right. You do more of that. I praise you more. You do more of that and so on and so on, up and up and up we go which makes it really easy to provide feedback. So I had to, I had to talk to Sandra today and say, listen, um, thank you for all the work you've done on the manuscript of the book. I need to give it to somebody else to get it over the finish line because they have skills you don't have. 
And instead of being upset about that, instead of pouting about it, she's like, oh, okay, that's fine. I get it. And it, it was a five minute conversation. It was no big deal. But it was because she understood what we were trying to do big picture. And because we had that trust and that relationship, she knew my heart. She knew I, I'm on her side. I'm, I'm cheering for her. And I also want the best thing for the company at the same time. And so it's possible to get both. And so it was a really easy conversation. Yeah, that gave me chills. Like, you know, I love hearing stories like that. And uh, I, I love, that's my number one uh, principle when it comes to leadership is what kind of personal relationship do you have with your team members? Um, for me, I carry what I, you know, in the military, we call it a leader's book, which has all the pertinent information about your team. And it's so that you can whip it out at any given time and check and be like, okay, this month I have this many birthdays on these days or whatever the case may be. Um, but I think that's such an overlooked thing among managers and leaders that it is so vitally important to know birthdays, to know um, anniversaries or to know, uh, you know, if, you know, Billy Joe's mom has cancer or whatever the case, you know, if, if Billy Joe's dog Skippy is in, you know, had to go to the vet to have surgery. These are things you need to know. And these are things you need to talk about. You know, hey, Billy Joe, how, how's Skippy doing? Is, is he pulling through? You know, when you have these conversations, when, when you know these things, they feel so connected to you. And that builds so much trust. And one of you, you say mushy, one of my mushy things, one of my favorite things to do is always, I always keep, um, what's oh, a Hallmark, a, a, a box of Hallmark cards that are just, they're not like holiday specific or anything. They're just a nice looking card that I can jot a quick note on the back of and just give to people. And a handwritten note of, hey, happy 15th anniversary. I hope you and Tom have a great anniversary. Here's a $20 Starbucks gift card. That goes such a long way with your people. Like you have no idea the impact that has chemically in their brain when they get that that five second gesture that it took you as opposed to you know doing a, a public you know hey we got these birthdays this month they don't care no one cares like that doesn't mean anything but that handwritten note that took you five minutes to do means the freaking world absolutely i teach that all the time and I teach the very same thing, the handwritten note. And now, now you're actually reminding me, I need to make sure that I have birthdays and anniversaries in my calendar. Absolutely. And I know I have some of that stuff, but I better double check. Yeah. And, uh, you know, me personally, I like to keep an actual hard, hard leaders book. Um, but, uh, you know, for the listeners, if you want to do it on your Google calendar or whatever the case may be, um, just make sure you have that information. That inf information is so pertinent to building when you, when you say, I want a high-performing team, you are not going to get a high-performing team without doing this. This is, if anything is the one thing you have to do, and correct me if I'm wrong, Eric, but this is the one thing you have to do. It's not going to work otherwise, in my opinion, anyway. No, I agree. I'm actually making a note. Check birthdays. <laughs>
I'm glad I could help. Now the the, the challenge will be, can I read this garbage later? <laughs> you have a doctor's handwriting. Oh. Me too. Tough. It's okay. That's, that's what happens, man. You hit middle age and you've been typing half your life. Can't write anymore. Right. Yeah. My handwriting is atrocious, but my handwriting has been atrocious since I was in grade school. But um, so one one of the I would say if I needed one area of massive improvement in my leadership skills, it's definitely going to be with conflict resolution. Um, my conflict resolution skills are very, uh, we'll say lacking. I feel like that's being generous, but I'm just not good at it because it's hard for me to separate It's hard for me to separate. I want to. I want to say integrity. I think that's the wrong word. But when I see an obvious, clear what I think is right, I want automatically go to it. And it's really hard for me to be biased and get both sides of the equation before I do any sort of resoluting. It's just automatically I want to gravitate towards this. Or, I mean, I am human, so don't judge me too harshly, but. If I like the person, one person more than the other, I'm going to instantly want to, you know, gravitate towards that person that I like more, which I think is natural. But I really struggle with conflict resolution. What what advice do you have for, for new managers, leaders in general, uh, when it comes to conflict resolution? My One of my very favorite books and courses that I used to teach for years and years is Crucial Conversations. And uh, it's a book by Joseph Grenny and four other guys, three or four other guys. And the whole premise is that, you know, we often find ourselves in conversations where you've got a choice and you know, you step, you step left and it becomes a crucial high stakes conversation or you step right and it's de-escalated. And so they talk a lot about ways to kind of de-escalate conversations, even before you open your mouth. So, for example, checking your mindset, checking the stories, that stuff we tell ourselves in our heads, checking that first and telling yourself a different story. So self-talk and making sure that, that what you're saying to yourself is, is helpful and not fanning the flames of what might be an imaginary fire. So just trying like to get, really, yeah. yeah, so just trying to watch what you're, what you're thinking first before you open your mouth and then... When you do open your mouth, there's an acronym called STATE, which stands for share your facts. So this is what I saw. So literally, you know, what could you have recorded on your phone? You know, like I followed you around and I saw you walk across the room and pick up the coffee pot and pour yourself a cup of coffee and put the coffee pot down on the table instead of back in the coffee maker. Okay. So like, that's a fact. We could have recorded that. Then you tell, you, you tell the story about that, what you interpreted that as, but you need to own it as your story. So, you know, for example, let's say I watched Stephen walk over, get a cup of coffee and put the coffee pot down on the table instead of put it back in the coffee maker. I could interpret that as Stephen is lazy and disrespectful and doesn't care about the furniture and doesn't care if the coffee gets cold. I could make up all kinds of stories about it. Or I could throw you a lifeline and say, gee, I wonder if he just forgot to put the coffee 
the coffee pot back. Or I wonder if he uh, was distracted and, and didn't even realize what he did. In any case, you share your you share your facts and you tell your story and then you ask for the other person's point of view. You know, hey, Stephen, you know, I noticed that you walked over, you grabbed a cup of coffee, you put the coffee pot down on the table. My story about that is that maybe you were distracted and didn't realize what you were doing, but that's going to that's going to scorch the table. How do you see it? What's your point of view? And then you shut up and listen while Stephen says, oh, I didn't even realize. Thanks for telling me. Or I didn't think it mattered. Like, what's the big deal? You know, or whatever. Right. But but you let Stephen have his say and you do these things while you talk tentatively and encourage testing. So you watch your tone of voice. You watch the words you're using and you let you let the other person know, hey, if I've got it wrong, let me know. You know, like I'm, I don't have a patent on the truth. So if I'm misunderstanding something, please let me know. So share, tell and ask while you talk tentatively and encourage testing. So that's a great way to bring up a touchy subject in a way that may not even, it may not even get to a conflict. You know, if you just watch the way you're speaking, because I tend to, I, where I get into trouble is with my tone of voice and my words. Like if I'm irritated, if I'm feeling snippy, um, <laughs> I will abs I will absolutely use the wrong words and the wrong tone of voice. And my daughter and I get into this all the time and we'll escalate up, 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 up until my wife will physically stand between us and push us apart and say, go to your rooms. It, it just get out, get out of the same room. Um, because it's it's tone of voice and word choice that often sets me off. And as it turns out, it sets Elsie off too. So there you go. Oh, dude, that is, first of all, thank you for being very transparent and honest and vulnerable. Um, that is definitely one of my key things too. And I am, the reason I laughed is because we just talked about this on your podcast, because that is one of my big things. I am incredibly snippy um, and I am quick to get that way. And a lot of times it's uh, simply I perceive the wrong image. Like you were just talking about the story. I perceive the wrong story. So rather than ask myself the hard questions, I just automatically assume I'm right. And that frustrates me, which makes me snippy, which makes me speak harshly to said people. And then they're defending themselves naturally. That's normal to, you know, someone's being rude to you, you'd be rude back. Um, not saying that's the correct approach. That's the normal, I feel like approach. And so, you know, then, like you said, we're just escalating the situation indefinitely until someone like your wife has the wherewithal to just, y'all need to stop. Um, but yeah, or, one or of, one it could of, get to the point where somebody throws a punch right. or somebody loses a job. So, you know, it, it, it can keep going. And we talked about this a little bit that that mindfulness is something that I've just started to do. So I just started to to take mindfulness lessons on Headspace, which is an app. And I I've been going to gentle yoga for a while. I call it stiff old man yoga. And so these two things are helping me slow down and you know be more aware of my thoughts and try to replace those nasty toxic thoughts that you know it sounds like we both have this this stuff that goes through our heads. It's just like what a jerk, what a complete idiot, what a moron well, wait a minute, hang on. Like there might be another explanation to that. You just got to be open to the possibility that the person you're dealing with is actually not an idiot. So 
if you can slow down and and give them the benefit of the doubt in your head before you open your mouth, that'll help a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things I've learned as well is I have to do that. Like what you're saying, like the, the, in these conversations, I have to have, it's a must because if I don't, if I just try to ignore it or bottle it up or just let it go, it festers and it's going to drive me insane. And eventually it's going to, you know, there's going to be one straw too many on the camel's back and I explode and get extremely snippy, we'll say. And, and, you know, so like you said, just mindfulness, being aware of who you are, uh, of your style. I'm not saying that my style is the best or the worst. It's just who I am. It's my personality. Just like you're talking, I'm like, dude, I'm the exact same way. Like a lot of what you said, said re- resonated with me because that's how I think as well. And like, I laughed when you're like, oh, this person's the biggest idiot. Dude, I think that all the time. Like, how stupid can you be, bro? Like, stop. Like, but when rea- in reality, it's they had a completely different thought process than me. And they just didn't think of it the way I was. Um, so my, my point to this is, you know, go through these exercises, be very mindful. And then once you're in a place where you can have these conversations and get it off your chest. It's to me, at least, it's important to have those conversations. I cannot bottle them up. And I think, no. go ahead. No, I, I I wouldn't advocate bottling it up. I would just check your story first. Right. And try to, try to come up with the most uh, gracious story you can for why this person did what they did or said what they said. And, you know, it, there, there may, there are times when, you know, there's a pill for that. And, you know, it might be appropriate to go talk to a therapist about it. And, and that's, that's totally okay. Now it used to be, there used to be a huge stigma around mental health. And I would say that that stigma is being broken down. So, um, you know, I mean, if you, if you're working for a company, chances are your company probably has an employee assistance program that will hook you up with therapists and coaches. If not, uh, your insurance company might cover the cost. If not, you might be able to get a, a deal you know, and, and get a therapist to, to cut their rates. If, if money's a problem, um, you'd be surprised at, at, at how affordable, um, it is to talk to somebody, but you know, you are not alone and, and snippiness can be a symptom of something else. And so you are not alone in this, you know, go talk to a friend, go talk to a pastor, go talk to somebody you trust, go talk to a professional. There's lots and lots of people around who can help you with this. No, you're absolutely right. And for me, my, my snippiness a lot of times stems from a lack of patience. Like I, I want it now, now, now. Um, that, that's where a lot mine normally uh, stems from is just lack of patience. But um, you're absolutely right. Mental health is a big thing. I am not a fan, however, of pharmaceuticals. I understand that they are necessary in certain cases. Um but for me, I, and of course, you know, talk to a therapist, there's nothing wrong with that. But pharmaceuticals are not my, my, my chosen, I prefer the, the more holistic, you know, meditation, yoga, um, mindfulness, just exercise, we, we talked about that on your show as well. Exercise, I believe is so important for everybody. Um, man, it gets so much out. 
days I don't exercise are my worst days, hands down. Do you, do you find that as well? You know, I wouldn't say that they're my worst days, but I definitely feel different. So for example, um, I was on a roll earlier this week um, and was hitting the gym and getting to yoga and was doing really well. And then yesterday I just, I couldn't, I just, I just could not get to yoga and I missed it. And then this afternoon, actually, after we record, I'm supposed to go work out, but I'm really wiped out and I'm just like, can I, should I, uh, I know I should. So it's, you know, but I, I definitely feel different when I do versus when I don't, I mean, there's something about, this is going to sound a little gross, but there's something about being on a bike and getting all completely sweaty and just getting it all out and, and setting a new personal record, you know, doing a, a record number of crunches or curling a weight that you hadn't been able to do before. Like that, that's all, little dopamine hits, which really help a lot. And then the endorphins you get from, from the, the workout. Um, there is something to be said for um, a late afternoon nap though. You know, <laughs> I, I don't have that luxury a lot of times. Um, I, I get really bad migraines sometimes. So that's if I, if I get an afternoon nap, it's usually because of that, which isn't good. So, but um you know, I I understand what you're saying. My advice to you is get up at four in the morning and go to the gym. I know it sucks. I know it's horrible. That's what I do. Get up at four and go. No excuses. There's no, at, that, at four in the morning, no one wants to do anything. So there's no excuse. So that's why I do it. Um, and I know everybody's like, dude, you're crazy. I, there's no way in hell I'm doing that. That's fine. But um no, man, you got this. I know you're tired. I know you've been up since five, but you, you got the gym 30 minutes. That's all it takes. You'll, you'll be good. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll think about it. I'll see how I feel when we're done. <laughs> but as far as getting up at four, that's a hard no. <laughs> Just being straight. He's their own man. That's, that's how I roll, but I, I am a little crazy. So, um, Eric, I, I, first of all, thank you so much for, for being on here, sharing sharing your wisdom. Um, go ahead real quick and tell us more about how people can find you, get a hold of you, and um, you know, look into your services, how they can get a hold of your book, or how they can get you to come speak. Yeah. So probably the easiest thing is to find me on LinkedIn, uh, Eric Gerard on LinkedIn. And um, there's most of the Eric Gerards I've noticed are Canadian or French. So um, not not too many uh, American Eric Gerards around. There are a few. Uh, anyway, uh, I am the Eric Gerard of Gerard Training Solutions on LinkedIn. For a more personal look at me, you can look me up on Instagram. That's eric.p.gerard. My company website is gerardtrainingsolutions.com. And Gerard is spelled G-I-R-A-R-D, by the way. Um, you can email me at eric at Gerard Training Solutions. And if you want to learn more about my services and things like that, it's all on the website. And there's ample opportunity on the website if, you, if you're interested, if you want to get my, my newsletter, um, if you want to learn more, if you want to book a discovery call, it's all there on the website. Fantastic. And of course, um, I will have all the links to all of Eric's stuff in the show notes or in the description below. So just scroll on down. 
to make sure you give Eric tons and tons of love because uh, I can speak from uh, the, the interactions I've had with Eric. He knows what he's talking about. He's a good dude and you definitely need to give him some love and uh, get in touch with him. Um, so before we wrap up, Eric, my guests always have the, the uh, they have the, I say they have the honor. Um, you can consider it a luxury if you like of having the last word. So uh, my final question to you is, what advice do you have for our listeners on how they can lead like champions? Um, the first quote in my book is from Maya, Maya Angelou. People will forget what you said. People will forget what you did. But people will always remember how you made them feel. And I'm, I think I'm hacking that quote, but that's the basic idea is that people will always remember how you made them feel. So work on making people feel excellent. Absolutely. And you didn't, you didn't butcher it too bad. Actually, I don't think you really butchered it at all. I think you were pretty close, but I, I don't know. I have to go look. It's been a long time since I've heard that one. That's awesome. So uh, make sure you guys go out and get uh, Eric's book. Um, I haven't read it yet, but I, I'm going to. I know it's going to be amazing. So that's going to wrap it up this week, guys. Uh, make sure you go check out his website. When you're done, head over to renownedleadership.com and uh, check out my stuff. Click on book a call. It's complimentary. You get to talk to me for an hour for free. It's top right-hand corner. It says talk to a coach. That would be me. Uh, click on that and you get to talk to me. So with all that being said, everybody, I will see you all next week. Thanks for joining us. And in the meantime, don't forget, lead like a champion. Goodbye, everybody. Oh,